first lesson is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. In this passage, the Apostle Paul gives guidelines for living as redeemed people in a troubled, sinful world. Paul's instructions are intended to help people of God at that time and Christians today to turn away from the hurtful, unjust ways of the world, to be renewed in heart and mind, and to care as much about all the people as we care about ourselves. Listen now to Paul's words from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I want to thank Greta for a excellent reading of the Roman 12, 1 through 3 passage that sets the stage for what you will hear now from the Apostle Paul from Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals 
on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Since mid-September, WPC has engaged in three invaluable conversations addressing individual, institutional, and systemic racism and issues of justice and equity. As part of these discussions, the global church, not just WPC, in the light of Romans 12, 9 through 21, finds itself in an identity crisis, the focus of today's message. In 1995, as part of staff here at WPC, I encountered signs of perceptible racism about which I intuitively made mental notes for future reference. One Sunday in Black History Month, the Reverend Charles Orr was delivering a stirring sermon highlighting historic black figures. Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Thurgood Marshall, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. were among those he mentioned who had made significant contributions toward the civil rights of all people in the United States. During the message, I became aware of a strange thing out of the corner of my eye. Each time the pastor mentioned one of these notable black people, a white member of the congregation seated across the middle aisle from me one row back seemed to be staring at me with what I felt was disdain for my presence in the worship service. I was annoyed and distracted, to say the least. Disgusted, I decided that I would make a beeline to this man, offer my hand whether he would accept it or not, and introduce myself to him immediately following the benediction. As soon as the benediction had been given, I hurried to the man as planned, my hand extended, assertedly blurting out my name as a self-introduction, only to discover that the man was blind. What I had noticed during the sermon was the glare from the broad black framed sunglasses he wore to conceal his blindness. I should have had a pair of glasses to conceal my own. The public humiliation I was spared as the only one aware of my thoughts paled in comparison to the self-incrimination I suffered as a result of my own misguided prejudice. From that experience, I gained an invaluable true story, useful in many teaching moments, and a constant reminder of the need to check all ill-conceived assumptions at every door 
and that true Christian fellowship derives from a spirit of genuine love. Incidentally, the Greek word Paul used for genuine translated means unhypocritical. A bit of background. In the spring of 1994, I was in deep prayer and a time of spiritual discernment. I had been avoiding what I believed to be Christ's call to follow him further in my Christian discipleship. I don't recall how I received information describing the San Francisco Theological Seminary sponsored program, Companions on the Inner Way, led by the late Reverend Dr. Howard L. Rice. But the timing was so perfect, it gave me chills. It was the ideal practical first step in affirming my call to ministry. The experience is worthy of a sermon of its own for another time. However, I will tell you that two weeks after that silent retreat, Dr. Rice sent me an invitation to the San Anselmo campus for Frontiers in Ministry, discernment step two. Two months later, I met the late Reverend Dr. Jack Rogers, vice president of SFTS Southern California, in his class, Theology and Practice of Ministry, one of three intensive classes I took simultaneously an unwittingly ambitious beginning to my seminary journey. To quote Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. My first assignment was a 15-page paper Dr. Rogers asked me to write describing my Christian church experience in the PCUSA from an African-American black perspective for which he also recommended as a resource the Presbyterian predicament, six perspectives. He specified perspective five by the late Reverend Dr. Gayrod Wilmore, identity and integration, black Presbyterians and their allies in the 20th century. This too warrants a future sermon. I will, however, tell you that a major takeaway from Dr. Wilmore's essay was the decidedly racist maltreatment and rejection of a $10,000 appeal by the Council on Church and Race, COCAR, by the United Presbyterian Church USA. It was intended as a financial aid for Angela Davis's 1972 Legal Defense Fund. That rejection came replete with hate-filled racial epithets spewed by many white Presbyterian Christians. Rather than make a contentious hullabaloo about the disrespect and racism demonstrated by those considered white church allies or allow dishonor to besmirch the UPCUSA, 20 black clergy, and lay leaders of the denomination and the Black Presbyterians United Caucus wrote $500 checks to repay the National Board of Missions 
relieving a reluctant white church of the moral responsibility it refused to meet. Those 20 black Christian families on behalf of the denomination honored Paul's exhortation to justice for Angela Davis, returning good for the evil displayed by their white Christian colleagues. Today, we inexplicably find ourselves as a society and the church, small c, Catholic, facing the same equality and justice issues inside and outside the church 48 years later. From a national perspective, the Black Lives Matter movement, a presidential election, arguably the most critical in U.S. history, and current conversations regarding individual, institutional, and systemic racism are on the minds of millions of people inside and outside of the religious community. The churches of the PCUSA, including those in the Pacific Presbytery, along with our ecumenical counterparts, are engaged in what, through the lens of Romans 12, 9 through 21, are in the midst of an identity crisis for which Paul offers both exhortation and admonition for individuals and corporate church life. In this climate of political and racial division, tension and unrest, I would be remiss if I didn't offer a prayerful word regarding the individual Christians and the church's role in advocating for hope, reconciliation, and peace. Many of our churches are engaged or desire to be so in conversations about how to navigate these terribly troubled waters. In the face of the current administration's troubling position on the COVID-19 pandemic with its catastrophic number of infections and rising death toll, disproportionately impacting the black and brown population of our country. The Black Lives Matter movement, a civil response to the mounting violence and unjustifiable deaths at the hands of law enforcement officers with apparent impunity. The threat of rescinding the health care of millions, again, impacting people of color and the poor disproportionately growing and devastatingly high unemployment and impending financial ruin for millions of individuals and small businesses. What are we as individuals and the church collectively to do? Listen again to what the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 18 through 21, that despite our human inclinations to respond negatively, as ambassadors of Christ, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. 
If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. These are acts of kindness to which it is said the desired effect may be that your enemies turn from their sins and from being foes into friends. And finally, we are told, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As difficult, if not impossible sounding, as these characteristics of true Christianity may be. Consider this hopeful perspective of Reverend Dr. Wilmore from his timely book, Black and Presbyterian, The Heritage and the Hope. It is in the ongoing process of reflecting on and ordering the substance of African-American religion and culture in the United States in such a way as to evaluate them both in the critical light of and in coherence with the gospel of Christ. The consequence of such theological reflection and praxis will be the liberation of us all, white, black, and otherwise, from racism, poverty, and oppression but it also means the end of innocence. It means courageously facing and resolving the crisis of identity that has come to the breaking point for African Americans in this 20th century of Christian movements. Powerful words. Facing this obvious and ongoing identity crisis I return to Paul's exhortation. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, I leave you with a critical, introspective question we must all answer. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let's pray. Merciful God, I pray this message serves as water in your vineyard. And that it serves you in some way in empowering and transforming hearts and minds that you may be glorified. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.